You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, I was going to start this week's podcast with a little conversation about the state of Mississippi, because like Bill Maher said on Real Time last week, how often do we get to pay the state of Mississippi a compliment? Those of us on the left, those of us who rant and rave on television and podcasts and in columns, usually when Mississippi comes up, it's nothing that makes Mississippi look very good. But this was different. Mississippi, there was a personhood amendment on the ballot last week, and there was a vote, and despite a lot of people believing that it would go the idiot's way, it didn't go the idiot's way, and the voters in Mississippi, of all places, rejected the quote-unquote personhood amendment, which would have declared that every zygote uh, was a person entitled to the same rights, protections, as any other fully human in the world, uh, independent human being. It would have made, if the person amendment had passed, it would have made uh, abortion illegal in all cases, including rape and incest. It also would have made many forms of contraception illegal. Uh, but voters rejected it, and that is awesome. And I kind of wanted to talk about how awesome the voters in Mississippi were for an uncharacteristic moment, uncharacteristic of me to talk about how awesome the voters in Mississippi were, and uncharacteristic of the voters in Mississippi to be awesome for a minute. But I can't talk about that. What I really have to talk about, unfortunately, is Penn State. So I don't need to rehearse the details. We've all heard the horrifying details out of Penn State. Somebody involved in the football program, some asshole named Jerry Sandisky, was raping boys. Uh, somebody involved in the football program saw him, witnessed him raping a boy, reported it to the head of the football program, who reported it to the head of the university, and nothing was done. The police weren't called, and the boy rapist went on to rape more boys. I bring this up at the top of the podcast because I want to address the inevitable that's come out of the religious right in the wake of this. They're out there arguing that Jerry Sandusky... And what went down at Penn State, what happened in that shower, the anal rape of a 10-year-old boy, the failure to report it, failure of anyone to go to the police, that this is evidence that gay people, same-sex couples, should not be allowed to adopt. Because look what happens. Jerry Sandusky is married to a woman, straight-identified, 60-something. The man who saw Jerry Sandusky raping a child in the shower and did nothing didn't march in there and pull that child out of the shower, but went to his father, also a straight-identified man, decided, talked about what he could do, and then went to his boss at the football program, who went to his boss at the head of the university, and they all decided to do nothing. Everyone involved at every step in the rape of that 10-year-old boy and the cover-up of that crime, everyone who enabled Jerry Sandusky to go on and commit more crimes, a straight-identified man. And this is being held up as evidence that openly gay adult men are unfit to parent by the religious right. Of course, there's studies out there that show that same-sex couples just as fit, just as capable, our children just as successful, just as happy, healthy, well-adjusted, in some cases better adjusted than children are heterosexuals. And I don't want to turn this into a straight guys versus gay guy things and who's more awesome. 
This is about pedophilia. It's not about hetero or homo. This is about pedophilia. Pedophiles are attracted to children. Male pedophiles who are attracted to boy children are often attracted to boy children because they are girlish and feminine in form. And it's about the failure of these men to go to the police, to do what needed to be done. Rob Tishani is a blogger. He blogs at wakingupnow.com, Rob Tishani. And he produced a, a YouTube video addressing this very issue some months ago. And I went to Rob's blog today to look up that YouTube video, which is called Protect the Children and Mean It, answers the accusation that gay men are pedophiles as attempts to conflate adult male homosexuality with pedophilia. And the video is terrific. And I wanted to uh, create a tiny Earl for it and send you all there. And I did. You can go to tinyearl.com, wake Rob, and see this video that Rob created called Protect the Children and Mean It. And I was saddened and shocked to discover when I went to Waking Up Now that Rob, (laughs) not saddened, kind of blown away to discover that Rob himself uh, is a graduate of Penn State. And he has some very interesting things to say in a very moving post called Penn State about this incident. And I would encourage you, anyone particularly out there who thinks that there's some threat that gay men pose, openly gay men pose to children, to go to Rob's blog, wakingupnow.com, read his Penn State post, and then go and watch the video he created answering these accusations at tinyearl.com slash wakerob. Sorry to begin this week's podcast on such a down note, but it kind of had to be addressed. One last thing to address, the anti-gay right claims that the LGBT movement for equality in this country is about pedophilia ultimately, that our ultimate goal is to decriminalize, destigmatize, popularize pedophilia, sex with children. I'd like to point out that when the head of Penn State's football program was fired, along with the head of Penn State, and there were riots in the streets, that it wasn't the LGBT movement that was out there rioting in the defense of people who enabled a pedophile to rape that boy and more boys. It wasn't lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people out there in the streets overturning cars and rioting on behalf of a pedophile's enabler. It was football fans. Suck on that, Tony Perkins. We're going to take a little break. We're going to catch our breath, and we're going to take your calls after this. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hey there, Dan. I am a 30-year-old bi-female who is pretty kinky, and I'm very lucky to be in a relationship with a boyfriend who shares many of my kinks and is also completely GGG. One of the things we're both into is water sports. He likes to give, I like to receive, and we both have a lot of fun with it. The challenge is that I'd really like to be able to top as well, but I just can't. Not because of my boyfriend, he is totally into it and encouraging, but because I physically can't let loose and let it flow when we're in the moment. I've tried various things, like sitting on the toilet and trying to pee while he watches, turning on a faucet in hopes that the sound of running water will help, 
holding it for as long as possible so the need to go is very strong. But whenever my boyfriend is present, I freeze up and it just won't happen. Do you or your listeners have any suggestions? Um, if it's worth anything, I've tried with past boyfriends and it didn't work for me then either. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Dan. Nope, no thoughts for you. Can't think of a thing. If you can't pee with your boyfriend even in the room with him in the bathroom while you sit on the toilet, not even over him, uh, my standard advice for, you know, the pee shy, and you sound pretty cripplingly pee shy, who are trying to get into water sports as tops, it's easy to be a pee shy water sports bottom. Uh, an inexpensive camp toilet, which is like a toilet seat on legs that you carry off into the woods so that you can have a seat and not have to squat or a pricey rim seat from a fetish store. Uh, that's not going to cut it. If you can't pee with him there on the toilet, you're certainly not going to be able to pee with him laying on the floor underneath a camp toilet seat. Uh, this may be an instance where you just have to accept your limitations, that this isn't something that you're capable of. You weren't capable of it with your past boyfriends who are into water sports. You're not capable of it with this boyfriend. There's really not a lot you're going to be able to do about it. Pee shyness is very hard to overcome. Uh, it sounds like you've given it every shot you possibly could. And now it's time just to accept this as kind of a hard limit. Not one you chose, one you battled against, one you fought, but there it is. Not something you're going to be able to overcome. Hey, Dan, this is Ben uh, from California. So my long-distance girlfriend is coming to visit me again in December, and we're both virgins, and we want to have sex for the first time. Uh, I'm quite new to all this, obviously, and uh, we were just wondering how reliable is birth control? Because she's been on birth control for you know quite a, quite a long time. And uh, so, you know, she's not missing anything. She's not skipping any days or anything like that. There's no worries about that. Uh, we just, especially for our first time, we don't want to go with condoms. We want to go without condoms. Uh, we want to do the real thing with birth control. And uh, we're both safe. We don't have any diseases or anything like that. We've been checked out. We just, uh, we really would like to do this without condoms because it's really important to us. Um, yeah, so I was just curious, uh, how reliable is birth control? Because if it's not reliable enough, then yeah, we're going to go with condoms. Birth control is highly reliable. You will be fine, provided your girlfriend has been taking the pill regularly and is taking it correctly, takes it at the same time of day, every day, uh, and is religious about it. Uh, there is a two to... 9% chance that your girlfriend over the course of a year would get pregnant if she's on hormonal birth control and doing it right and you guys weren't using condoms. Add condoms and that chance becomes even uh, smaller. Uh, statistically, you're going to be good so long as she's actually using birth control and using it correctly. Is she actually using birth control? Do you know that for sure? Is she actually using it correctly? Uh, you can also add emergency contraception, plan B after the fact, if you want to, you know, wear a belt and suspenders, if you want to cross yourself and say a Hail Mary, uh, you can see how she feels about that. And But if you're really concerned about protecting yourself, then you need to add a condom. Condoms are less effective as birth control than hormonal birth control is. You know, the chances of her getting pregnant over the course of a year if you're using condoms are actually higher. But if you're using condoms... 
in concert with hormonal birth control, the odds of you guys getting each other pregnant uh, are vanishingly small. But I understand the desire to go condom-free if you guys are both virgins. Uh, first time, you want that degree of intimacy, blah, blah, blah. But you can't have that degree of intimacy without being willing to accept a slightly higher risk of pregnancy. So the question that you and the girlfriend need to wrestle with before you become sexually active, and I'm glad you guys are approaching this so thoughtfully, is what level of risk are you comfortable with? The risk here is very, very small. Uh, but if you should become pregnant, if she should become pregnant, uh, what then? What then? How pro-choice are you? How pro-choice is she? What would her next move be if you guys did indeed you know, come up with a very short straw and wind up pregnant, uh, which is highly unlikely. But, you know, if you're a worst case scenarioist, as I am, you game out those worst case scenarios. You think about what you'll do uh, if the worst should happen. Uh, I think you're pretty much in the free and clear. Again, if she's using hormonal birth control regularly, correctly, uh, and then if you want that added degree of protection, that added measure of safety, she can take emergency contraception on top of the hormonal contraception she's already taking. You can do a blast of EC after uh, that initial encounter. But that's not something you're going to be able to sustain or do over and over and over and over again just for expense reasons. There's no health reason why a person on hormonal birth control can't also take EC. But it's not something, if you guys are horny teenagers and you can go at it a lot, that she's going to want to do or you're going to want to do or anyone's going to want to pay for you guys to do constantly taking EC. So uh, have a nice long talk. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Dear Dan, my sister is dating our first cousin. She doesn't she doesn't think there's anything wrong with that. And she doesn't she can't see why her immediate family would have a problem with that. And she argues that they didn't grow up as cousins as he lives abroad. And they saw each other we've seen each other on and off during occasions while we grew up. And she recently a year ago, moved to where he lives after ending a long relationship. And I don't know if he offered to her to stay in his apartment or if she asked him to stay, let her stay in his apartment. But that's how they began having sex and being intimate, I guess. She came back eight months later because she ran out of money uh, while she was looking for a job. And so she moved back to the States and recently has moved back to my parents' house to save enough money to go back to the same city where he lives. She says she wants to work there and she sees opportunities to find a job that she likes. But uh, this is the same cousin that I had a similar relationship with when I was 18 and he was 18 and I lived in his city. And I have uh, feelings of regret about getting involved with him and I feel kind of sleazy about it. And my problem is that I don't know if I need to put out of my sister's life um, but it doesn't make sense that she would choose to make the same mistake I made and think it's not a mistake or have it not be a mistake. 
so am I out of place in thinking this and telling her this? And is it my place to do nothing to stop her from making a dumb decision? Let's try to separate these two issues out. Uh, there's the issue of uh, this guy is your cousin, and there's the issue of this guy is a douchebag who preys on his relatives and uh, is fucking his female cousins one by one by one. Uh, listen, first cousin relationships, first cousin marriage is legal in all in 26 states, recognized in all 50. It's legal in Canada. It's legal in Europe. Maybe it's squicky, but nothing necessarily illegal or uh, dangerous about first cousins marrying. Charles Darwin, according to the wiki, uh, married a first cousin, and that worked out just fine for them. Um, but if this guy, you know, when you talk about the mistake, uh, was the mistake that you made fucking a cousin, or was the mistake that you made fucking this guy who happened to be your cousin? Um, if you could separate those issues out, maybe you'd have an easier time talking to your sister about it. Because uh, if you go to her and say, oh my God, he's your cousin, and she goes online and Googles Cousin Couples. She's going to wind up at a website called CousinCouples.com, which unpacks all of these facts about cousin marriage, including how common it is, how unrisky it is, genetically speaking, uh, and how legal it is in most places. Uh, if the problem is the guy, the particular guy she's dating, who happens to be a cousin, stop fixating on the cousin thing and just talk to her about the mistake you made, and then recognize that however big a mistake it was, however much you regret it, however much you learned from that mistake, you can't just download that lesson into her head. People have to make their own mistakes. Uh, and this guy may be a mistake that your sister, like you, is going to have to make on her own before she wakes up and realizes that he's a bad guy, cousin or not, and not somebody she can uh, be with or date uh, over the long term. But, you know, you're her sister. Uh, you, you feel for her. You don't want to see her go through what you went through. Dump that on her. You know, you have a right to a responsibility, really, to go to her and tell her, you know, what you feel, what you think. Uh, share your concerns, your worries, your insights on this particular guy. And then butt the fuck out. She's an adult. She's her own person. She can make her own mistakes, make her own choices. Uh, and she may have to make the same mistake you made uh, to learn the same lessons that you learned. This podcast is brought to you by audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is The Marriage Plot by Jeffrey Eugenides. My husband has downloaded that and is very excitedly listening to it right now. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hey, Dan, this is a 25-year-old gay guy. Uh, my question for you is about online dating and specifically gay guys who put on their online profiles that they are straight acting. Um, I generally try to avoid these guys. To me, uh, these this word or this phrase is sort of a sign to me that they have some sort of unresolved issues surrounding their own sexuality and their own gender performance because, like, why would you describe yourself as straight acting when you're fucking on a gay dating website? Um, so I wanted to ask your opinion on this. Am I wrong to just write these guys off? Um, because a person is obviously a lot more than what they just write on their online dating profile. My take is that it's code. It's shorthand. 
And it's uh, a novice mistake. You know, most of the people out there you see online describing themselves as quote unquote straight acting on their personal ads tend to be younger or newly out uh, and still a little hung up about what it means to be openly gay or gay identified and the assumptions people might make about them. Or they might be the kind of guy who's, you know, pretty masculine and is interested in other, you know, completely masculine guys and they think of themselves as straight acting, uh, for lack of a better term, like, you know, masculine, because you can be masculine and gay or masculine and straight. I don't think you should write those guys off, necessarily. I think you should uh, bring them up to speed, uh, if you can. You know, a word or two uh, about why you think that phrase is not quite capturing uh, what it is that they mean. Uh, you know, you could be, you know, masculine, rugby-playing, beer-swilling, bearish dude. Uh, when it comes right down to it, if you're having sex with men, those are the gayest acting acts of all. Once you've got that dick in your mouth, your hand, that other dick, that other guy's dick in your mouth, your hand, your ass, whatever, uh, it doesn't get much gayer acting than that. There are guys out there who aren't attracted to uh, more androgynous types or femme types, and people are allowed to have preferences. I think you can express that preference without reinforcing heterosexist notions uh, about appropriate gendered behaviors. Uh, one of the ironies that I've noticed uh, around the whole straight acting thing is that, you know, one of the markers of you know, masculinity is just being comfortable in your own skin. Uh, and being confident about the person that you are. And that process of you know growing into yourself, growing into your self-identity, becoming more and more comfortable with yourself as a gay man, that can often lead, uh, in many cases, to self-confident, doesn't-give-a-fuck gay men behaving less masculinely at times because they don't give a shit. Uh, they can femme out for a minute. They can have their girly thing, whatever it is, even if it's only a moment, even if it's only for comic effect – without having to feel like they're not the, the man that they know themselves to be at their core. So I've watched that in the past. You know, these guys I've known who came out and were straight-acting guys. And uh, the more relaxed they got about being gay, the less paranoid and self-policing and self-censoring they became about whatever telltale feminine traits uh, that they had. Uh, and the only tale those traits ultimately told when they unleashed them on the world when they stopped censoring themselves was that these guys were finally really uh, men comfortable in their own skin and no longer worried uh, over much about what everybody else thinks. But if you don't want to date a guy who says a thing like that, then don't date him. But if you're on Grinder, or if you're on Dudes Nude or you're on Recon and you see that phrase, I think a note that just says, hey, you can be masculine uh, and call it that. Masculine, I think, has fewer characters than straight acting does. Just as many syllables, fewer characters. And it says what you mean to say without insulting all the other gay men on here. Hi, Dan. Uh, 29-year-old male up here in the Rocky Mountain region. Uh, I needed to ask your advice on something. Uh, this past Saturday, my girlfriend of about two years said she wanted to be on a break, uh, which when I asked her what that meant, she replied she didn't know, and I don't know. So uh, I'm having a little trouble defining it. Uh, just real quick background on the two of us. Uh, we've been together for two years. The first year of our relationship, 
was a long-distance relationship. She lived in New York. I was back here in the uh, out west. Uh, I moved out there, and we lived together for about six months. Uh, she decided she wanted to move back here, so we moved back. But we're still we're back in a long-distance relationship. We live about five hours apart. We've still managed to see each other on weekends, uh, but apparently, you know, she felt it. it uh, it's been a little stressful. She has uh, some bouts of depression, which is what caused us to move out of New York uh, because it was causing stress on her, uh, on our relationship. We felt it would be better if we were back someplace that was safe. So we both uh, live with our parents, uh, again, about five hours apart. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, basically, I, I don't know what to do about this. Uh, it feels a little bit like... Uh, uh, it feels like I'm constantly getting kicked in the stomach because she says we're on a break, but nothing has really changed. We still talk every night. Uh, she still tells me how much she loves me. Uh, we miss each other. Uh, we talk like nothing is wrong. Uh, she she requested that we not tell anybody about this. Uh, she requested the break be for one month, and then at the end of the month, we'd see where that went. She doesn't plan on breaking up with me. She says after the month, you know, everything should be fine. I don't know what that means. She doesn't have a libido. Uh, sex has been kind of an issue just because I have a large libido. It, it's a price I know I'm willing to pay for this relationship. Uh, I can see myself with this girl because when we work, we're fantastic. And I, I just don't know what to do. Helps to emphasize every once in a while what advice is. Advice is just an opinion about what could or should be done. It's not binding arbitration, and the only qualification you need to give your advice to someone is that they asked you for it. So I'm going to give you my advice, and you don't have to take it. My advice would be to recognize that this relationship isn't going anywhere, uh, that your girlfriend, as much as you like her, as well as it works when it works, it sounds like it doesn't work a lot more often, a lot more of the time then it does work. And whatever depression or damage she's struggling with, it's fatal to the relationship, hopefully not to her. That she's dragged you across the country twice and now you're both at home living with your parents and she's taking breaks. You know, she's jerking your ass around and maybe, and not fucking you to boot, and maybe there's really good reason for it and she's depressed and it's sad and you love her or you love what... You know, you've seen her when it's healthy and it works and you wish she was that person all the time, but she's not that person all the time. And she may never be that person all the time. And the question at, you know, two, three years in now for you to ask yourself is how much more time are you going to sink into this relationship with someone who doesn't know what she wants, isn't, doesn't sound very stable uh, emotionally. And as I said a million times, you, you don't have to be perfect or perfectly healthy to be in a relationship or to seek romantic attachments. You do have to be in good working order, however, and it doesn't sound like she is. How much more time are you going to sink into this thing? I'd be curious what your parents are telling you. Uh, now that you're home, home from New York, back in their house, what their advice might be. You know, if my advice is a little harsh, it's not what you want to hear. Go ask mom and dad uh, what they think you should do about the girlfriend. And I would be, if I were in your shoes, deeply suspicious of this, you know, we're together, but we're living five hours apart, but we're taking a month off, just a month, but I'm not breaking up with you. 
I would be very curious about what exactly is going on uh, on her end. Uh, she may regard you and this relationship as a security blanket, as a fallback, as something she can't let go of. So she's still talking to you every night, maintaining that emotional bond, really keeping you on standby uh, in case she wants to get back together with you, in case this is, you know, so she doesn't have to think of herself as alone or doesn't have to face the possibility uh, of being alone. Uh, and she can't give you everything that it is that you want and deserve and need out of a relationship. So she's going to give you just enough to keep you hanging in there and following around the country while she figures it out. Seems to me that two years in, you've invested enough time in her and in this. And if she can't be there for you, if she's not emotionally healthy enough to be in a relationship, or if you're not who she wants to be in a relationship with... You need to end it. So I would, if I were you, uh, or I would advise you, if you asked me, and you did, uh, to make the break permanent. And I know that's harsh, and it's not what you wanted to hear, clearly, but that's my take, and it ain't binding arbitration, so you don't have to do what I've said. I would, though, urge you to see what the other folks in your life might have to say about this relationship and how much more time it would be advisable for you to sink into it. Dan, uh, just a quickie, uh, phrasing intended. I recently discovered my talent for uh, full-on autoflatio. My question, uh, do chicks like that kind of stuff, or is it a really specific fetish-type thing I shouldn't bring up with a chick until I know her a lot better? Um, because I can rarely come, and I find a lot of pleasure in just getting chicks off, this is something that kind of turns me on as well. Um, I guess a game and experience works as well, but, uh, um, and I'm aware this is not a pressing matter, but I just polished off a few too many beers at MNF and I'm feeling impulsive. Uh, also, you're a uh, fag genius and your Messiah-like guidance is always appreciated. Before I weigh in on issues like this, I always like to consult with my uh, good friend and former college roommate, Mark Driscoll, Pastor Mark Driscoll of Mars Hill Church, which is a very conservative hipster church uh, with branches in Seattle and now Portland. Uh, and he had some interesting things to say about masturbation uh, in his new book, Porn Again Christian, a frank discussion on pornography and masturbation. Driscoll says of masturbation, a man alone, his hand in his dick. Masturbation can be a form of homosexuality because it is a sexual act that does not involve a woman. If a man were to masturbate while engaged in other forms of sexual intimacy with his wife, then he would not be doing so in a homosexual way. However, any man who does so, who masturbates, without his wife in the room is bordering on homosexuality activity. That's what he wrote, homosexuality activity particularly if he's watching himself in a mirror and being turned on by his own male body. I feel like we've got a little creepy glimpse into Mark Driscoll's Dark Knight of the Soul right there. It's kind of real specific at the end. Uh, but clearly, if you were looking for Christian counsel, uh, this would be okay and not at all gay for you to blow yourself so long as there was a girl in the room. Now, to your question about whether a girl would welcome that or not... You know, I get letters every day from women who think that their boyfriends or husbands might be gay because they like to have their nipples played with or they like a finger in the butt during a blowjob 
seeing you uh, roll yourself up in a ball and suck your own cock just might give a girl the feeling that, you know, either A, you might be gay, or B, you don't need her. Even if you are straight. (laughs) Uh, I think... That it's really going to be situational, girl to girl. Some girls might really appreciate seeing you do that. Other girls, maybe not so much. It does seem that autofellatio as a skill among porn stars is more represented in gay porn and appreciated by gay porn fans. So maybe there is something intrinsically homo, erotic about it uh, in every sense. Uh, you don't see a lot of auto filadio going on in hetero porn, uh, porn for straight guys, because there's kind of something gum gay about putting a dick in your mouth. Uh, so you should ask the girls. You should ask the girls that you're fucking. You should let them know you have this special skill. And I don't think there's anything necessarily gay about a straight guy giving himself a blowjob if he's that limber, any more than there's something gay about a straight guy giving himself a hand job, masturbating, even if he is looking in a mirror. And admiring his male body while he does so with the pastor's wife in the next room. Hi, Dan. I am a 48-year-old straight woman who just bought two tickets to Hump in Portland for next week. But I don't have any friends I feel comfortable asking to go with me. I'm married, but I'm going through a divorce, so my husband's not... um, any way a possibility. And I'm just wondering how weird it is for a single woman to show up alone at this thing. I'm not sure if I feel comfortable going. I would love to go with a friend. I would love to go with anybody. Even a stranger said, yeah, I feel weird going alone. And um, just because it's more fun to have somebody that, I don't know, comment with or whatever. How weird is it to go by oneself? And any advice on how I could feel more comfortable going. Thanks. Hump, of course, is my annual amateur and locally, local to the Pacific Northwest, Seattle and Portland, amateur and locally produced porn festival. Uh, We've had two weekends of Hump in Seattle and now this weekend coming. This Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, Hump comes to Century 21 in Portland. Uh, All the shows, save the early show on Saturday, are completely sold out so that you have a couple of tickets uh, is a marketable thing. You could put an ad on Craigslist saying you have two tickets and invite somebody to come. I think, you know, knowing the Portland community as well as I do, that if you put out there that I'm a recently divorced or divorcing 48-year-old straight woman, uh, this isn't something my friends would be interested in, but it's something I'm interested in going to and I've got an extra ticket – Not a date, just looking for a hump buddy to come to hump with me. Somebody might take you up on it. If you're, you know, blind date not averse. A lot of people are blind date extraordinarily averse. Otherwise, if you want to come alone, please do. Please come. Come to hump. Uh, Bring your spare ticket. We'll sell it to uh, Rusher because there's always people rushing the lines at hump trying to buy a a ticket at the last minute. Uh, And we'll get you in. And I'm going to be there on Friday and Saturday night for Hump. So if your tickets are on Friday and Saturday night and you feel at all awkward about entering the theater alone, I will escort you into the theater personally and help you find a seat. Hump's this weekend, ladies and gentlemen, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, The show is amazing. I think it's the best Hump ever. For a full schedule and ticket information, go to PortlandMercury.com if you're in Portland or you can get to Portland. There's a 7 to 9.30 show on Thursday, both sold out. There's a 7, 9.30 and midnight show on Friday, all sold out. 
and a 4.30, 7.00, and midnight show on Saturday. And there are tickets available for the 4.30 show. And we sell rush tickets uh, immediately before every screening. So if you want to line up early and try to get into a choice screening, you can. Otherwise, we'll see you at 4.30 uh, at Hump in Portland. And you call her. Again, let me know if you're coming. Send me an email, mail at savagelove.net, and I will be your escort. I will meet you down the block, and I'll walk you into the theater so you don't have to walk in alone. Uh, Otherwise, get on Craigslist or get on the personals at the Portland Mercury uh, and find yourself uh, a date for Hump. I'm sure somebody would love uh, to accompany you. And everybody else, we'll see you at Hump, Portland, Oregon, this weekend. Hello, Dan. I'm an avid listener, and I'm calling about uh, episode number 263. There's nothing so quite so rude and inconsiderate and discourteous and disrespectful and disgusting as to hear the radio announcer eating on the, uh, while he's doing his broadcast. So I know I'm not the only one, but I can only speak for myself. So I, as a listener, have to wade through every swallow, every smack, every disgusting sound of your sticky saliva mixed food being moved around in your mouth, breaking up the sentences with rude pauses while I have to wait patiently for you to get your your message out. So I love your show. Now I have to say, you've got to listen to Dan Savage. He's really cool. But beware, he might be chewing while he's doing his show. Hi, this is a comment on episode 263 on for the woman whose um, fuck buddy keeps calling her when she has her period. I highly recommend a product called Instead. Uh, you can buy it at a lot of drugstores. It's a small plastic cap, kind of like a diaphragm that you use during your period like you would a tampon, except it catches the blood. And what's great is you can actually have sex while you have that inside. And I have, in fact, had sex with people who didn't even realize that it was in there. It, that's how um, uh, efficiently it works. So for people who uh, are interested in having sex during that time but don't necessarily want to get the sheets all bloody, instead, check it out. Hi, Dan. This is in regards to the guy from episode 253 whose brother found Jesus. Same thing happened to me. My sister went away to college and found Jesus. And whenever she pisses me off by saying anything homophobic or militantly pro-life, I turn around and I make a donation to either Planned Parenthood or the Trevor Project because it helps me keep my sanity and makes me feel like I'm in some way making up for uh, her bigotry. Thanks. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Thanks very much for your calls and your comments. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a call or a question for a future show, please do. Sorry that Lucy wasn't able to join us this week, but Lucy will be joining us on the podcast next week for sure. And this podcast was recorded just for future historians to take note at the Detroit International Airport at the Westin in room 632. Uh, that's it. Me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Lucy will be back at you next week. Another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. Mm-hmm.